you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to the book of Judges. We're going to be in Judges chapter 4 this morning, starting a sermon series entitled Unheroic, How God Uses the Worst for His Best. We're going to be looking over the next four weeks at four different judges, those who are are found in the book of Judges. But let me go ahead and correct a misconception in case you're, you're coming at this thinking we're going to be looking at people with black robes and curly white locks of hair. Um, those are not the type of judges we find in the book of Judges. Uh, the word judge used in scripture here actually references more of, of a leader of some sort. So these are not people necessarily ruling on judicial matters. Instead, you'll hear the word judges interchange with words like commander or leader, uh, those who are in charge of the people at this time. So I think it's helpful as we get into the book of Judges to understand kind of a big picture of what's going on. How many of you all have read the book of Judges before uh, from, from chapter 1 through the, the end? Anybody say, I've read the whole book before? Good. And how much of you, how many of you remember everything that took place in the book of Judges? Good, fantastic. Judges is one of those books that we know the stories of, but we don't necessarily get the, the glimpse of what's going on. And it's important for us to, to see where Judges fits in, in the history of the Bible. First of all, I want you to understand, Judges is a book of failures. It really, really is. It's not a book of encouragement. If you read the book of Judges and you walk away going, man, I really feel good about myself, you read it wrong. Okay, it's not, that's not what Judges is written about. Over and over and over again, we find in the book of Judges, people failing. I think maybe that's why many of us can read the book of Judges and all joking aside, we connect with it somehow. Because we see people are making as dumb a decisions as we make. They're doing things as poorly as we do. And we go, even biblical characters mess up. The book of Judges is over and over and over again a failure on the people, but not just on the people. The book of Judges shows a failure in leadership. These judges we read about in the book of Judges, these leaders, are not heroic figures. Oh, they do heroic things. But they are utter failures as people. As a matter of fact, there's a progression that takes place. If you start at the beginning of Judges and read, you read about these leaders and they do have some heroic qualities and you go, this is great what they're doing. And as you read on, there, there are a progression of Judges that get morally and morally worse. Every judge after the next is a, a worse person is worse at standing before God than the previous one. And so over the next four weeks, we're not going to see characters who get more and more heroic. We're going to see in Scripture characters who get less and less heroic. They do great things. God uses them in mighty ways, but they are horrible people. Until the point that we get in in the fourth week, a man named Samson, who has no real redeeming moral qualities about him until the very end when he finally does something good. <laughs> Today we're going to look at a person named Deborah. And so if you have your Bible, turn to, to Judges chapter 4. Deborah is a judge that is, is found in Deborah or, or Judges 4 and 5. We're going to be looking primarily in chapter 4. And to kind of put this in the, the context of where the people are, uh, a brief two-minute summary of the Bible up to the book of Judges, Okay. It starts with the book of Genesis, God creating everything and man messing it up royally. This is a key theme in the book of Judges. 
God makes something good and people mess it up. It starts all the way back in the book of Genesis. And as the book of Genesis continues, we see not only man messing it up, but God going, I can fix it. (laughs) I have a plan of redemption. I can get things right if you just follow these simple things. And so we see God calling a man named Abraham as an instrument, uh, a family that he's calling to bring about this redemption. In the book of Genesis, we see God raising up a nation, the Hebrew nation, eventually to become the Israelites, that God says, I want to do something great through your family. And through a series of events in Genesis, they get enslaved in Egypt. They go from being one family to to possibly a million people who are slaves to the Pharaoh in Egypt. And in the book of Exodus, it's the story of God rescuing them from slavery. The people of Israel mess it up. God pulls them out. You see the pattern going. God creates it perfect. People fall. God offers redemption. The Israelites get enslaved in Egypt. God saves them out of that. After he saves them, he says, I've got this land I want you to live in. It's great. And they all look at the land except for two people and go, there's no way we can take that over. Those people are bigger and stronger. And again, when God says do this, the people say, I don't think that's a good idea. They mess it up yet again. And so God sends them wandering around for 40 years. He lets all the adults in Israel die so that the next generation will get to get into the promised land. But the unbelieving adults, except the two who were faithful to say, we can do it, all the rest of them die, pass away, and they're getting ready to enter into the promised land. The book of Joshua is a story of one of those two faithful men and the story of Israel taking over the promised land. God saying, I've given it to you and some great conquests. But the book of Judges again, (laughs) we get to the book of Judges and over and over again, we see God saying, here's something good for you. And the people of Israel messing it up. God saving them just so that the people can worship for a time and then say, I know what's best. They mess it up and the cycle continues again and again. If you read Judges 1 and 2, what you'll find is this story of them coming into the land and having a major flaw. God's saying, go in and wipe everyone out. By the way, how many of you all like war movies? You you like things that blow up? Yeah, You you like fierce battles like Braveheart when they're running at each other and chopping heads with swords? You will love the book of Judges. (laughs) You really, really will. As a matter of fact, I'm glad we dismissed children to children's church. The children that are left in here, we'll come to a certain verse in a minute. I'll go, uh, cover their ears, okay? It's gory, right? uh, Some of you guys are excited about that, so you'll like it. But but the other kids maybe plug their ears a little bit. It's it's this gruesome fighting, and, and God tells the people, wipe everyone out don't leave anyone that's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother time on why god says that but the people the people disobey if you read judges one and two over and over again they let these people stay in the land they didn't drive out these people they continue living among these people and god said if you do that you're going to end up worshiping their gods don't do that and yet they they think they know better they mess up and lo and behold what do you know they end up worshiping the false gods in chapter 3, there's three different judges. Uh, my favorite may be Shamgar. At the end of chapter 3, there's just one verse on Shamgar. All it says is that he killed 600 Philistines uh, with, uh, with an ox goad. Uh, you have to Google what an ox goad is, but it's pretty impressive to have one hand tool and kill 600 people. If you like war movies, read about Shamgar. One verse, short and sweet. These judges come in and fix what the people mess up. God uses them in mighty ways. And then we get to chapter 4. And the people again fall. 
And in this story of Deborah and Barak, uh, really the hero is Deborah. She's the only judge, by the way, that we find is actually doing judicial duties. We're going to read about her, her taking cases under a tree. All the other judges are more military leaders. And the reason why Barak is included in this is because he's the military leader. But Deborah is the judge. Deborah is the only judge we're going to look at without a major character flaw. By the way, women power, right? If, if ladies want to be empowered, read the story of Deborah. She's the only judge without a moral noted flaw. She's faithful in what she does. And we're actually going to see that, that the writer of Judges wants us to know that God particularly used a woman for this purpose. It's a, it's a wonderful story. We include Barak and not just Deborah because Barak, Barak has enough flaws of his own that we need to look at him as a character. If you're following along with the notes in your bulletin, you'll notice Deborah's name. You'll notice the name of another woman named Jael, but there's no reference to Barak because we don't really have a whole lot of positive things to learn from him this morning. I want to read all of Judges chapter 4, but, but we're going to read through it kind of slowly because I want to make sure we catch the plot of what's going on. So uh, let's start by looking at Judges chapter 4, verse 1. Familiar phrase we're going to hear all throughout the book of Judges. The people of Israel, again, if you take notes in your Bible, underline that word again. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud, that's a former judge, died. The Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Haggim. So here's our main antagonists. You have Jabin, who's the king of Canaan. He's the king of the enemy. And you have his main commander, Sisera. He's really the one we're going to, to get to deal with a lot, Sisera. So here are our two main enemies that we're fighting against. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. This is Sisera, this evil dude, who with 900 chariots just went around from place to place, brutally harassing the Israelites. That was his lone job, was to cause trouble and mischief. And so the people of Israel cry out to the Lord for help as they're going to do time and time again, and the Lord listens. Look in verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophetess, was a wife of Lapidoth and was judging Israel at the time. Notice that God doesn't speak initially here to a commander. He speaks to Deborah, who's a prophet, someone who speaks on God's behalf. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh Niphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Nephtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon, with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. So now we meet our, our, our main protagonist, our heroes. Deborah, the prophetess, speaks for God, and Barak, the commander of the Israelite army. And Deborah says, God has told you, go. I'm going to give Sisera into your hand. You've got the enemies. 
and now you've got your heroes. But Barak is not quite the hero we would want him to be. Look in verse 8. Barak said to her, If you'll go with me, I'll go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Is this a picture of courage or what? How many of you all go, the, the military commander of the nation of Israel, he's got to be a bad dude. And here he's going, hey, lady, I'm not going to war unless you're going to war with me, okay? I will not fight those 900 chariots unless you, the prophetess, go with me. Now, can, can I share with you, maybe he has more courage than we give him credit for. Deborah, as the prophetess, would have been the one speaking for God. And there's a good chance that Barak is going, I'm not going unless I know God's voice is with me. And most likely that's what Barak is saying. I will not go unless it's the Lord's will. And so you come up with me. Never mind, Deborah just said, the Lord told you to do this. He said, no, no, no. I need the Lord's voice by my side when we fight this fight. Continuing on, she said, I'll surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you're going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. This is an important verse to read. And a great place to pause and ask, who is this woman that the Lord is going to deliver Sisera to? This commander of the enemy army is going to fall before a woman. And so go ahead and tell me who this woman is going to be. Who is it? Deborah. Fantastic. Keep that in your back pocket because you're wrong. Okay? But this is a great point to listen to. We all expect God is going to use this amazing woman, Deborah. Barak, you missed the boat. He could have used you, but, but now you've lost the glory because you won't go on, on your own. So the glory is not going to fall on you. It's going to fall onto a woman. And then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels. And Deborah went up with him. So now the battle is set. The heroes on one side with their 10,000 men. And the enemies with their 900 plus all of their army. Their 900 chariots. Then continuing in verse 11, we have an aside. Put this one in your back pocket too. Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zananim, which is near Kadesh. Now, if you're like me, as you read the Bible, sometimes you get to verses and you go, what the heck is that doing here? Who is Heber the Kenite, and what does he have to do with anything? Especially as you're reading, we're going to jump right back into verse 12, and it's like, okay, now we're back at the battle. Like, there's this dude over here living, separate from his other family, just kind of on his own. And what does this have to do with anything? What, what, I want you to, to take note that there is a man named Heber. He is a Kenite, so not hero, not uh, enemy, just random tribe. He's separated from the rest of his family. He's kind of doing his own thing. Now, historically, historically, the, the Kenites were friends of Israel, but he's separated from them. So he's not a friend of Israel. He's different, and he's just kind of floating around the same area that this battle's taking place. Right? Put that in your back pocket, along with the woman who's going to conquer Sisera, and we'll come back. Verse 12 through 16. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out, all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him, from Herosheth Haggaiim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. 
And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army of Herosheth Haggim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. This is your brave heart scene. Right? This is your, we're running, we're fighting, and all of a sudden uh, the swords go flying, and every single one of the enemy's army and their chariots is slaughtered. Now, this is the G-rated portion of the story. But it's fair to say this was a, a bloodbath if there ever was one. And what we find, the last picture, is Barak not able to kill Sisera, right? Your, your hero of one army, not able to kill the hero of another. Sisera, the enemy commander, runs away like a coward. The, the men in this story are just, <laughs> they're just chickens. <laughs> He's fleeing on foot, getting as far away as he can. And that sets us up for verses 17 through 20. Remember Heber the Kenite? Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the enemy king, and the house of Heber the Kenite. So here Heber is. He's separated from Israel, and he's decided to partner with the enemy. So Sisera goes, we've got a friend in the area. I'm going to go to his tent, and he meets his wife, Jael. Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. She's giving him words of comfort. You have safety here at our house. So he, Sisera, said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I'm thirsty. So she opened up a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. Notice she goes above and beyond what's requested. He says, Give me water. And she says, No, let me give you something more nourishing. I'm, I'm here for you. She covers him and then and then he says to her, stand at the opening of the tent. If any man comes and asks you, is anyone here, say no. Say, can you cover for me? They're, they're looking for me. So they're going to come to your tent. They're going to know you're a Kenite and think you're friends of theirs and trust you. So if you just say there's no one here, they'll go away. So the scene is set up. And Jael, Jael listens to the instructions, but doesn't act in the way that Sisera had hoped. This is where you can cover your kids' ears if you want. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. And in case there's any confusion, the writer of Judges adds, So he died. <laughs> this is a gruesome picture of a woman says, Drink some milk. I imagine going, Water might keep you up, but it's nice warm milk. You know, lull him to sleep. Let me cover you with a blanket. And now that you're asleep, Although you trust me with everything, I'm going to grab a tent peg, which possibly some commentators say was wooden, not metal. Right? Takes a hammer to his temple, and I'll let you fill in the details of what that might be like, okay? She kills him in his sleep. Now here's the fulfillment of Deborah's prophecy, isn't it? The glory will not be yours, Barak, but the Lord is going to give Sisera to a woman, to Jael. Not to you, not to me, but to someone who you don't even know about. You've missed the boat. The rest of the chapter concludes, And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, I'll show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. 
So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. So here is your epic story in Judges chapter 4 of Deborah and Barak. And there are really, really important principles we learn, especially from Deborah and Jael. By the way, if you ever think the Bible is sexist, you need only read the book of Deborah or the chapter Judges 4 about Deborah. Because in chapter 4 and 5, there is no less than three prominent women in Judges 4 and 5. You have Deborah, you have Jael, and then in chapter 5, you've got this, this story of the mother of Sisera and her weeping and her sorrow. And, and they're prominent, strong figures. You can read the book of, of Ruth, another strong woman figure. You can read the book of Esther, maybe the strongest in Scripture. Did you know that, that God's desire is to use everyone, regardless of their gender, regardless of their race, regardless of their circumstances? But it's important for us to realize that Deborah was not in a position of strength culturally. So as we start to learn things from the story of Deborah and Barak, the first thing we need to realize is that in Deborah, God uses the socially inferior. Now, before you start throwing things, ladies, that does not mean that because she was a woman, she was inferior. It means because of the culture she lived in, the fact that she was a woman made her socially inferior to the people of the time. She was the outcast, the ones that were not important. You notice that, that even the writer of Judges doesn't just say Deborah the prophetess, but Deborah, whose husband was Lapidith. Right? Let, let's tie her to a man to make sure we have some, some manly influence here. And the writer of Judges felt the need to put that in there, but it's almost like God going, I'm not even mentioning her husband anymore. He doesn't matter. Let's just talk about what she did. I wonder if there are times we look at ourselves and think, I, I'm just not as good as the people around me, Right? Maybe it's not because of my gender. Maybe it's just because of my social standing. Maybe it's because I don't, I don't have the status that some people have. I don't have the wealth that some people have. I don't have the knowledge that some people have. I'm just, I'm just a little socially behind where others are. How can God use me? I love when, when God calls Deborah. It says, Deborah, a prophetess. Notice that God does not say, Deborah, some woman that, that he wanted to use. No, he gives her a title. You, who everyone else thinks is inferior and can't do the job, I want you to be my voice. I want you to be a prophetess. God says, I want to speak, Deborah, through you. Where everyone else looked at women in this culture as something to be sold for marriage, God said, no, I want to use you to be my voice, to speak on my behalf. This is not truly a, a women's empowerment sermon. Instead, it's a socially inferior empowerment sermon. God doesn't care where you stand with the rest of culture. He doesn't care if you have the biggest house or the smallest house. He doesn't care if you're, you're the one that people call when they need help or you're the one that, that people call because you cause them to need help. He doesn't care whether you're at the top of the pecking order or at the bottom. In Deborah, God is using those who were socially inferior. Notice Barak was the one God should have used. We're going to look at that in just a minute. He was the commander of the army. He was the man that everyone looked to. And yet God does not primarily work through Barak. 
We don't see good things from Barak. What we see is God calling. Someone who everyone else had surely trusted, they came to her for judgment, but, but had not viewed in the same sphere as the men of her day. Notice the authority God gives her when, when she calls Barak, the commander of the army. This is a, a woman who sits under a tree and passes out judgment, who says, commander of the national army, you come to me, I have something to tell you. And he comes. You know why that is? Because when God wants to use you and you don't think you can be used, God makes it happen. Maybe you've wondered, do, do I have the tools? Do I have the, the standing and the, the social influence to do what God calls me to do? We're reminded when we read the book of Deborah that God uses those who feel socially inferior. Those who are not the first to be called. Also in Deborah, we find that God also is using the secondary character. She's not supposed to be the highlight of this story. All the other judges God speaks to directly. In this case, when God wants to talk to Barak, he uses Deborah. But make no mistake that the intention here is God speaking to Barak through Deborah. He is supposed to be the primary character. He's the hero. He's the one that the movie will be made out of because Deborah is not charging in the war. He's the one who has the face paint and the armor and the horse. He's the strong character. And so that's why we see in Judges 4, 6, and 7, she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and she said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Who is God speaking to here? It's to, to Barak. Has not God called you? Listen to what God's plan was. Go, and I will give him, I'll give Sisera into your hand. Who's supposed to kill Sisera? Who's supposed to be the hero? Who's supposed to be the one who, who everyone triumphs and celebrates? God has commanded Barak. But notice that when Barak was not up to the task, God does not abandon his plan. Maybe you don't feel like you're God's first choice. Maybe you don't feel like you're the, the one that God would want to use. But, but notice here, when the culture says, uh, the primary person's here, God says, I've got a better plan. I'm going to use that secondary character, the one behind the scenes, the one that nobody thinks is able to do the things that I'm calling him to do. Look in Judges 4, verse 9. She says to him, I'll, I'll go with you. Sure. But the road on which you're going will not lead to your glory. Oh, it was supposed to. God commanded you, but... But you dropped the ball here. And now the Lord uh, will sell Sisera into the hand of a, of a woman. A secondary character who we don't even know her name yet. Maybe you feel anonymous. Like nobody knows who you are and that nobody cares about who you are. In this case, God is using a, a secondary character in Deborah, but he's also using a third character who, who nobody has heard about. Maybe you feel socially inferior, or maybe you feel good about yourself socially, but, but perhaps you feel like you're not someone worthy for God to use. There's a preacher. He's supposed to do that stuff. There's a Sunday school teacher. He, he knows the Word of God. There's a deacons at our church. God's empowered them. There's the, the godly, faithful Christians who have been there for years. That's not who God uses primarily in the story of Deborah and Barak. Deborah is the secondary character, not the primary character. 
But God calls her up and makes her the primary character because of her faithfulness. And finally, in Jael, God uses the untrained outsider. Boy, God really has to go deep into his pockets to find Jael. And that's why we get this aside kind of thrown in there. Oh, oh, by the way, the writer of Judges is writing this down. He goes, I forgot to tell you something. Uh, There's this guy over here, and he lives in this tent, and he's not even friends with Israel anymore. He's broken off from the people who are friends with Israel. He's kind of doing his own thing and doesn't even mention Jael. She's not even, even a thought. And yet as time goes on, God reveals more and more about how he's using this person who nobody has heard of. Look at Judges 4.17. Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. This is the only time we hear of of Heber or Jael is in the book of Judges. History knows nothing about this family, nothing about these people. Uh, These are not individuals trained for war. They've got tents. They don't have barricades. They're camped out. They're nomadic people. They're not set up for a war. They're not set up to take down a commander. There is no training that goes on with J.L. She's just an outsider floating around, waiting for the right time for God to use her. It's funny that in chapter 5, you you see a retelling of Judges 4 in a kind of a poetic form. Actually, probably the poem was written first, and the story was taken out of the poem and, and as you read, you, you hear them praising Deborah. You hear them mentioning Barak, not really praising him. But you know who gets a lot of attention is Jael in chapter 5, verse 24. As the writer of this poem is, is putting pen to paper, he writes, Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. Listen to her description. I just, I love this about who she is. She's fierce warrior. Nope, she's tent dwelling. (laughs) She's not the one who's trained to kill a commander. She's a homemaker. She's at home taking care of the house. And God says, you know what? You, untrained, outsider, forgotten, you're the one I want to use. In jail, God uses that untrained outsider. What is your excuse for not serving the Lord? What is your excuse for, for God not using you? Are you not socially important enough for God to look at and say, I, I want to use you? <laughs> Are you not the primary character that everyone thinks they're definitely the one that God would use to do that? Are, are you untrained Don't know how to do the things God's calling you to do? Do you feel like if you just had more knowledge or or more understanding, if you were something more than just a tent maker, maybe? What's your excuse? As we read Judges chapter 4, and then if if you follow it up with Judges chapter 5, we realize God is not looking for the commander of an army to kill the commander of an army. God wants to use you, socially awkward as you are, Not the primary, but the secondary, maybe even the third character in the narrative. God wants to use you, untrained and and without knowledge, maybe new in the faith. God wants to use you. As we study the book of Judges together the next few weeks, let us be reminded that God's purpose is not to, to use the biggest and the strongest, but to use the most willing, to use the ones who are obedient, 
God wants to call you, not because of some quality you have, but because God can do something through you that you can't do on your own. I wonder this morning if we can just submit and say, God, I'm not the best of the best. I feel like I'm the worst of the worst. But if you go with me, I will go. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for Deborah, and I thank you for Barack. Lord, I thank you for JL, and I thank you for those who are faithful in this story. Lord, there are times that that we feel like we're unfaithful, we feel like we're unable, we feel like we're unworthy. Lord, in those moments, can you remind us that you're not looking for the biggest and the strongest, but you're looking for those who are are just willing to be obedient. Lord, I confess to you, I, I, I feel like a Deborah, and often I feel like a JL. Lord, I'm not up to the task you call me to. And so I thank you that even in my inadequacies, even though I feel like I'm at my worst, you empower me to do everything you've called me to do. Lord, help find me faithful. It's in your name we pray. Amen.